0: Good afternoon, everybody. Kevin Stevenson here. Thanks for joining me on I Don't Care with Dr. Kevin Stevenson. Boy, today, you're, you are in for a treat. I don't think I've ever had anybody who has the capability of playing, uh, you know, like a theme song for me. Uh, so so I've invited one of my good friends, Dr. Christian Linek. Christian is a professor at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, the former home of Ralph the Swimming Pig. Uh, uh, That's right. Christian and I (laughs) would go back a few years. Uh, He is currently the regent for South and Central Texas for the American College of Healthcare Executives. And so I'm a past president, and so Christian and I spent a lot of time together, and uh Uh, But Christian is a a, an award winning educator. He's an award winning researcher. He's just written a new book, and more importantly, I think is he is a world class mandolin player. So, Christian, welcome out of care.
1: Yeah, and thank you for not calling it a ukulele. I appreciate. Hey, I've been to
0: Hawaii. I know what a ukulele looks like. So there we go. So, so Christian, how'd you get started with a mandolin? I got to know this.
1: All right. So uh, I guess I've been playing mandolin for about 20 years. Okay. Uh, only because it was a requirement <laughs> by my uh, father-in-law, future father-in-law, to marry his daughter. <laughs> um, they had the family band. He was a banjo player in Fort Worth. And they everybody played an instrument, and they did not have a mandolin. So well, there you go. Uh, yeah, kind of the Bill Monroe method where he they was the only one in the family not playing an instrument and they needed a mandolin so he ended up picking that one so That's same great. thing here thank yeah goodness, so uh, yeah i was gonna say it
0: wasn't a bagpipe
1: i was gonna say thank goodness, yeah, it, <laughs> say, thank goodness it, it only has four strings and i picked it up so it wasn't uh wasn't it uh <laughs> as difficult as a guitar is so yeah uh yeah absolutely thank you for having me this absolutely. is gonna be fun
0: it's gonna be a lot of fun hey tell my <laughs> audience a little bit about you
1: well yeah i've been teaching for i'm going on uh, uh 14 or 15 years full-time down in san marcus and of course we have our round rock campus as well a lot of remote stuff still going on uh to prior to teaching in uh the grad and undergrad programs and health administration uh, I was in the field. I was a practitioner. I got into health administration, I like to say, because the Army told me to. Uh, I was uh ROTC undergrad and I was branched Medical Service Corps. Um, I filled out a form <clears throat> when we got to pick what branches we'd like to go or whatever. And I did put MSC first, but I also told them that I was a licensed uh, EMT. And I'd been working on the ambulance for several years through high school. And then I actually held that job and ran a truck in Cincinnati with uh, a colleague of mine uh, also at school with me. And he was a paramedic. So we got to run an ALS truck uh, together. I did a lot of driving. He was in the back a lot. Uh, And so I got branched medical service. And uh, that's the health administration wing uh, arm of the Army. And so uh, I ran a field evacuation unit. Uh, in the 3rd Armored Cav, which is now at Fort Hood, but it was at Fort Carson back then, patient evac for two years. And then what really got me into outpatient ambulatory care was the last two years I was in, um, I was the uh, executive officer of the dental clinics at Fort Carson, Colorado. And so all outpatient, uh, outpatient oral surgery uh, clinic embedded in the hospital. Went to a lot of hospital administration, a lot of hospital leadership meetings, uh, but I worked for the the Army dentists, uh, which was a whole other uh, world. Uh, taking care of uh, beneficiaries, dependents, obviously active duty, uh, soldier readiness, deployability, uh, and everything in between. And really got that outpatient, you know, got the bug, loved it. Um, I ended up doing a hospital internship when I was wrapping up my MHA at Texas State. Uh, after I got out of the military and I enjoyed it. It was a good semester, but I knew I wanted to be outpatient again. And ever since I've been uh, uh, working, uh, ran the the business office, the accounts receivable, accounts payable department at Austin Radiological Association, ARA, uh, for several years. And my kind of claim to fame is I ran a physiatry group practice, pain management, world headquartered in uh, South Austin with tons of outpatient, uh, uh, satellite clinics yeah. all over. And we opened up a uh, surgery suite on Medical Parkway, which was really fun yeah. to do as well. So, yeah,
0: uh, that's very cool. That's so, how so I, got, I got
1: into it, yeah. Very
0: cool. So at Texas State, what do you teach?
1: So I teach uh, two classes. Chronically, uh, regularly, every fall and spring, and some summers, I teach uh, financial accounting, uh, and then uh, healthcare marketing. Okay. And I usually do been teaching the uh, MHA marketing class as well, um, but with some summers off and some, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just working fall and spring, I usually just do the two undergrad courses now. And then I teach financial management for a lot of universities on the side as okay. an adjunct. Side hustle as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, let's put it this way. One of those I know a lot about because I got my start in healthcare on the marketing business development side. The other one, and, and even when I was going through undergrad in my MBA program, I tried to take as little finance as possible. I'm not gonna lie, you know, and, and I tell people readily, I mean, finance is probably my weakest area. I finally finally started picking up some of it. I learned how to, to add and subtract, which in healthcare is pretty, you know, important. But, um, you know, that that's something that that I find a lot of people in healthcare, uh, you know, finance tends to be kind of a deficit because, you know, I mean, we're a very relational industry. And, and there's so much, you know, if you're not a clinician, you know, you're kind of a relational person, you know, we got that subset of CFOs, VP of finance guys that, you know, I, I my eyes kind of glaze over or used to, but, but so, so talk to me a little bit about how do you engage, you know, because you're kind of left brain, right brain with what you teach. So how do you engage your students in that regard?
1: Absolutely. And I, and I do think that's what makes those two courses uh, really intriguing for me. I enjoy the, the mix of the marketing and the, and the accounting with the, with the students. So And this is one of the main reasons why I wanted to to do this interview with you, Kevin, because I've seen over all this over a decade of uh, grad and undergrad, that financial accounting uh, is vital. Uh, It's like Spanish one or French one and then financial management is spanish or french too right and what we've what we see and you can go look at a lot of programs out there is for the master the graduate level we say oh yeah go take an accounting class somewhere it doesn't have to be healthcare accounting mm-hmm. you just have to be an accounting prereq. and then you start in financial management mm-hmm. and uh what what i'm seeing and what i do a lot of work with is leveling of that financial accounting because if you can't do if you can't speak get through Spanish one, how are you going to survive in Spanish yeah, two? Yeah, right. right. Well,
0: and, and, and let me also preface this by saying, you know, I'm not a complete moron on the finance side, but when I got into no, finance, no. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, uh, I'm a complete moron in plenty of things, but finance may not be one of them. But, but whenever I entered healthcare, because I was in another industry for four years before I got into healthcare, it, I mean, made no sense. I mean healthcare finance just doesn't make any sense because you know whenever you start looking at you know your your top payer is your is your top customer and you know you start discounting services and all of this other stuff you know i I try to talk to people who are not in healthcare who get frustrated with having to deal with us and I said well trust me there's plenty of frustration inside so
1: yeah, if I if I were to pick up my business school colleagues right now, you know, if if you don't have the money, it ain't going to happen. Right. You don't get, you don't get the widget you're trying to buy or whatever. We are very different in healthcare. We have a lot of uh, different types of concessions or write offs that we have, and going to the statements, the financial statements, uh, it is it is different. Of course, follow gap. We you know do all the regular accounting stuff, but. it, it is gonna look different. Even to where you compare a not for profit organization to a for profit, you know you're looking at a balance sheet, you know you're looking at a statement of operations, but they're not exact, they're not matching apples to apples on a lot of fronts. And one a great example, you know, we saw FASB, uh kicked out some of the most aggressive changes to the statement of operation or the income statement or whatever you want to call it, uh, revenue over expenses in around 2018, and of course COVID stalled a lot of that in implementation and challenges, etc. But now we're looking at these organizations, especially the hospitals, that are looking at implicit price concessions. So, of what's hitting somebody's high deductible. What's the estimated, based on historical data, uh, uncollectible of high deductibles that's that's owed to the organization? What what is that implicit price concession? And that's another deduction from net revenue. So you've got gross, and you've got your other, you know, you've got your contractual adjustments with managed care. You've got, you know, the um, the discount for managed care payers. Third party, and then you have your explicit price concession, you know, your explicits, uh, and in your charity care that gives you your net. Well, now we're doing even after net, we're doing more deductions based on guesstimated write offs uh, from what's owed to the hospital, but may not be fully collectible because it's hitting a personal. Uh, balance, it's been balance shifted over to the consumer for, especially those high deductible plans, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks go to those high deductible plans because it gets them the lowest monthly premium. And if you're not, if you're not budgeting for that line item on a monthly budget and you need health insurance, you go get the lowest monthly premium and that's a high deductible. And so when you do enter the system that there's gonna be a lot of out of pocket. That's going to hit that hospital or health or healthcare organization and, and be owed to it. Uh, and that's where we're seeing now to get that full net realizable value of what's, what's going to probably be collected. You've got that additional implicit price concession, which is really hard to implement. You've got a good data in the past on who's paid what and from what level of deductible, everything in between.
0: So, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, I go back, well, thirty-four years of doing this, but early on in my career, uh, you know, was was very very early day managed care, and uh, I was over the rehab departments at a very large hospital in Fort Worth, and and we're looking to do some contracting with some managed care organizations, and they said, well, you know, what 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 should we charge? And I said, well, what, is, what does it cost us? Well, I don't know. And, and so, yeah, seriously, I mean, so I literally. And going through, you know, billing statements and trying to pull out cost manually because I'm old enough, we didn't have a lot of computers back then. It's so, you know, we just in healthcare, you know, it, it's a real it's a real issue for us because even to this day it's difficult to identify cost.
1: We 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 are I'll just say it, we are Pretty lousy at knowing our costs, yeah. our true full true cost. Full cost. Like if you're gonna get the proportion of the provider's malpractice coverage for that day, for that type of that acuity level, uh, you know, if you're gonna go square footage of the utilities for that segment of the day for the OR or whatever, if these cost accounting systems have come a long way, you're right, computers, software have helped. We're constantly trying to figure out what that is. And that's the other thing, your your charge should be based on your cost. And so that's where we get a lot of trouble. Plus, we are allowed a little cushion for a profit buffer on that. But if you don't know what your your total cost is for any one procedure, even at certain acuity levels, that's that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, it's going to be hard to
0: do. Well, and and again, going back to what I said earlier, the frustration that patients have, you know, whenever they get their bill, they see that they're like, why does an aspirin cost me $50 or yeah, whatever? Yeah, uh, you know, And you start trying to explain to people, hey, you know, yeah, we're a X billion dollar growing concern. But once you take all of our write offs down, you know, we're collecting 20 percent on the dollar. And so then we started looking at our costs and now implicit costs and everything else. And so, you know, just trying to break even is is certainly a challenge that that many hospitals and systems are facing right now. And, and I mean that speaks to the number of hospital closures that that we've had over the last decade or so. Um, and
1: we're seeing a lot of that in Texas. Yeah, in the, and we, we push it one level further here: is that pay for performance, right? And the and the recoups for readmits and other things, the the uh, reductions. So um, you know. What Medicare does, and I, 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 we can feel it. It's it's rejuvenating post a lot of that was stalled during COVID, right? We we put the brakes on it. We just get through the pandemic, and then now we're seeing it slowly start ramping up again with a lot of that pay for performance and everything. Well, what Medicare does, everybody else is watching, and so if your commercial payers start catching. Uh, you know, the wind that uh, this is, this is a, sh- a, sh- a savings to Medicare and apparently they're getting better outcomes from it or other things. They're getting tired. Commercial payers are getting tired of being cost shifted to because our government payers usually are reimbursing at or historically below cost a lot of times. And that difference is being made up by those commercial payers paying well above cost and they're getting tired of it. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens with it.
0: Yeah, but Christian, you know, I mean, particularly over the last few years with all of the with all the acquisitions by managed care organizations of physician practices and and I spent a little time in that world before before I got back into the hospital side. You know, that that is I'm just going to say it, it gets to be a little a little gray because you know with a medical loss ratio that that managed care organizations have you know there are limits to their profit but you know if you have a provider there are no limits and so you know you got an organization who who's the payer but they're also the provider so guess where they're shifting costs to and and so and unfortunately now we've seen you know post-pandemic we've seen you know uh the the managed care organizations you know, shifting those those revenues away from hospitals and away from other providers that they don't control so it, you know it's really frustrating you know uh, somebody of my uh, of our physicians and, and you know other hospital operators uh, friends of mine yeah you know, everybody's like well the people that are doing the work you know aren't seeing the funds the funds are going to the people who are pushing the papers
1: yeah I I also, and there's two points I want to make, and I saw this from, uh, even, you know, decade back or longer when I was in the field, there's, there's two main things, uh, especially practice administrators have to constantly be looking at and do regularly. And that's check your charge master, because you need to know and make sure, because those managed care companies are not crazy. They say the allowed amount or. The lesser billed charge. Well, you under bill, you bill lower than the allowed amount. They'll pay you what you asked for. You're not crazy. Right. And they're at ed, their uh, edits and everything are all programmed to take care of that. A human probably doesn't even see it. Right. Um, and then the other thing is negotiating those contracts every year, going in and negotiating those contracts. If you're hot stuff, if you've got good out, you know, decent outcomes, you're one of the only special specialists in that zip code or you're competitive in one way or another geographically, that's a lot of leverage that needs to, you know, needs to be pushed at those meetings uh, to ensure, because you got it, you do, it goes back to financial accounting. You got to keep the statement's looking good. You got to keep the lights on. A for or not-for-profit hospital in the community that has to put chains on the doors because they can't keep the lights on doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody. Uh, and that, is, that has been happening. We've seen that. That's been happening back when I was running physician groups before jumping to the dark side of teaching. So uh, you got to keep the lights on. It'd be surprised too. Um, some of my uh, for a lot of the professional organizations I do continuing ed for uh, some other things, uh, some sessions I do for my book online. Uh, a lot of my attendees, participants are clinicians, uh, docs, providers. And it's interesting, you know, they'll <laughs> I mean, I, I could tell all the all these stories of, you know, like the, the doc I worked for who thought debit and credit meant exactly what happened to your checking account or your debit card. You got paid. It's a credit. We thought it applied to all the accounts. Right. And so he's like, yeah, I got, I got pretty much exactly half of all the problems in my business accounting class wrong. I said, well, you should, because that's not correct. That's not how that works. Um, And it's, you know, they, they tell me all the time. I go to these meetings, I go to these board meetings, they pass out the financials. I really don't know if this is good or bad, what I'm looking at. I listen to the reports and then we move on and and I'm more interested in the clinical side of things, but they do, they, they need to know and they're more interested these days in knowing what are, what is that balance sheet trending uh, directionality wise? Is this good or is this bad? Some accounts, we don't want to trend up or down. We just want them to hold a stagnant, you know, hold the gains. Um, and so uh, a lot of providers, uh, especially, <laughs> I did this one at, uh, in South Florida back in December, and I literally had a table full of doctors lean over and look at the, the CFO's table, who was working the case. We were doing a whole workshop all day. And they was just like, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. We didn't realize how detailed this was. We saw you were in your office up you know, your glass tower counting beans all day in your Excel spreadsheet this is, this is amazing. And now that we have a little insight into what you're doing, uh, thank you. And I, at that point I was like, I think i pretty much can retire. Now. Yeah. Yeah. That's you're, you're good. I, yeah. You're good. Did, and maybe y'all go to go to the surgeries and, and, uh, sit in on some of those doc surgeries and learn what they're doing. Next, sure. Right. Yeah. Something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, well I, Hey, let's talk a little bit about, about your book, uh, healthcare financial sure. accounting guide for leaders. Uh, talk a little bit about that you know what's you know some of the some of the primary topics in that and, and I know you're doing a lecture series around that too let's let's get into that a little bit
1: yeah absolutely so uh, you know if you want to learn to uh, if we want to learn a topic a subject very well if you want to uh, get very well competent in something teach it Uh, because it'll force you uh, to learn the insides and outs. Now, I've obviously survived several accounting and finance courses in school, but in teaching it uh, at the grad and undergrad level, it's different. Uh, You get all the good questions and the, you know, uh, and so I did that. And basically what I did was I took a lot of difficult content, a lot of challenges that I had, and I dumbed it down to my level. Uh, And so that book is kind of my... Tips, tricks of the trade for financial accounting. So we're talking about today backwards, right? So the financial statements backwards, no decision making in accounting. We're just basically documenting the history of the organization using a dollar sign backwards and uh, tying it all, tying all the statements together because they do talk to each other. And a lot of a lot of individuals don't realize, a lot of leaders don't realize that. You know, what happens on the balance sheet affects the statement of operations, affects the statement of net assets, and they're all talking. And so if you change one thing, uh, it's going to affect something else down the road. And that may be good. It may be bad. We're we're doing a lot of exercises in these workshops. I got a projected growth rate exercise because we're doing that now in the field where we've got a lot of, areas of hospitals, HR, payroll, others that are, that are really struggling, uh, crisis with staffing and other, where are we going to make this up, right? All traveling nurses, that's not something we've always budgeted for. So this extra expense, where is that coming from? Do we, are we pulling on increasing liabilities? Are we tapping into equity? Where, where is this coming from? And and what's that going to do to us? So, uh, a lot of those, Current day challenges is what we do when we plug it into workshops. And on on my you know, my traveling road show, I like to call it, I actually ask the organization for their whatever most recent financials they can provide me. And if they're not for profit, I'll just go get it off the internet. Uh, and I'll actually build the case around their financial statements. So I'll do a hypothetical like, you know, uh, payroll problems or, you know, shortfall in one area or another. And then we've got to do that growth rate exercise to make up for any gaps or shortfalls. And where's that gonna come from and, and, and what is it gonna do? And it's interesting, you'll you'll see different departments, because you know, everybody clutters all together with who they know at the workshop, and you'll see them say, Well, wait, that's gonna now you're in my world. Now you're affecting my box for Hang on a second, uh, and so it's it's a really fun uh, exercise, and it gets them gets them moving, and uh, we've had really great success with it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you, you touched upon something that we we deal with every day, and and of course the the contract labor issue, uh, as you said, is something that you know we didn't budget for, you know, a few years ago, and so how do you make that up? And so that's when. You know, we're looking at, you know, we're, we're, we kind of cross over into your other realm in the marketing and business development. All right. What, you know, what in our market makes sense? You know, where are there gaps uh, in services that we can go and, and maybe fill, you know, and then, okay, you start looking at that. Well, then we've got to start possibly recruiting new uh, physicians. Well, we're going to have to recruit new nurses. And, and it's, yeah, and you're right everything is so intertwined. And and sometimes clinicians, particularly physicians, don't see how their request for one uh, piece of equipment totally affects everything.
1: Oh, yeah. And and not just that, too. It's it's kind of, I like to call it group therapy. Yeah. When we start hearing the the violins playing at the workshops and stuff, it's not just big capital purchases it's supplies i like to talk about and use band-aids you know when you have a physician group that's been acquired by a large hospital system but on the hospitals here and where these are these are entrepreneurs running a proprietary the business owner now an employee and uh they need a band-aid because they're out and you hand them a form and say here fill this out and your Band-Aid will be here in 90 days or whatever. That's not gonna work. These are folks who are used to running down to the drugstore and getting what they need immediately with the practice credit card or whatever, like make it happen, right? Uh, and so, obviously, it's a hypothetical there, but uh, that's where a, a lot of these challenges come in, and, and where we're going to do. That? I just did a paper on uh, nursing burnout that's going to hit the press pretty soon as well. Unfortunately, we didn't find anything new, uh, new variables kind of contributing to the nurse burnout uh, situation, but um, they are very similar to what we had pre. Covid and during Covid as well, so it just goes to show, like we've had the same situation. I think it's just been exacerbated, uh, you know, with with all that's been going on with everything. Uh, so that is a challenge, and you know, somebody has to pay for all this, and where is it going to come from? So that's why we're seeing a lot of the, a lot of the challenges right now and, and other things. Yeah,
0: absolutely. No, you're exactly right. So because I know before the pandemic, I was speaking with nurse leaders then. And they were telling me we're about to have a mass exodus from the industry. And you know, COVID, COVID in the beginning kind of held it off because of loyalty of nurses and, and other clinicians. But, you know, afterwards, they're like, see ya, we're done. And, and that's what, the, you know, that's the situation we're facing now. Well, we have talked a lot about finance and numbers and my head's hurting. So, <laughs> So let's talk about something else we share. Let's talk about the American College of Healthcare Executives. How you sure get involved? absolutely? How did I what? How did you get involved and when?
1: Oh, you know, it was funny. I was I was at Fort Carson, and I got a you know we didn't have a lot of email back then. That's that's I'm dating myself, but I got a Manila folder in the interoffice mail, and it was from uh, Captain Noel Pace, who is an attorney now and well known on uh, on LinkedIn, and uh, he uh, had just. Wrote my name in on the application, and I think it's back when you got a free T-shirt if you refer somebody. And so he wanted that free T-shirt, and uh, I said, "Oh, I'll check it out." So I just started checking it out on the website, and really got into it. And um, I joined then and stayed in uh, ever since. That's kind of my first. Uh, look at it. My first real meetings and everything were when I moved to Texas, here in Central Texas, and went to the Central Texas chapter. Some some healthcare landscape, some South Texas uh, stuff going on down there too. Uh, really got much more invested in it because this was where I was going to live, right? Uh, so I uh, wanted to kind of drop the anchor and, and make those networking connections. And everything that went with that, Um, it's been a a great decision. It's it's it still is. Uh, I'll tell you, there are times where you need to fall back on that network uh, of leaders and colleagues, and ACHE has been there for me. And I'm even referring to the national team in Chicago and the and the staff and everybody over there. It really is a great organization, and uh, it's it's I'm honored to work for them now. I'm honored to do a lot of their choice programs and other things. Yeah,
0: that's tremendous, you know, and, and thanks again for all the work that you do as a regent. I, I know how, how difficult that can be. Uh, I've been on a few regent advisory committees. I'm on yours. Thank you for uh, keeping me around. But yeah, we'll be, we'll be talking Friday. Thanks for keeping me around in that. But uh, yeah, like you, you know, it's been, I've been a member for, uh, gosh, 27 years, I think now. Uh, fellow for 22. And, uh, uh, it has, it's been, it's been a great experience for me from a networking, from an education standpoint. Uh, it, you know, it just helps me stay current. Uh, and, and it, now at in my advanced age, it helps me, uh, helps me st- uh, network with some of the young up and comers and that's a lot of fun too. So, so, so yeah. any, any final, uh, final words about uh, your book or your lecture series or some closing comments?
1: Well, you know, I, I just would love to cap with, uh, we've we've got a lot of great leaders coming up through the ranks right now. And so I'm, I'm really, uh, there's a promising uh, fulfillment uh, post-COVID of leadership out there, uh, and they know what they want. And I think they know what they know and need to know. And so a lot of folks I'm seeing are, um, uh, from all all levels, of course, of, well, you know, I, I have an MBA, didn't really get this out of my finance course or accounting course or whatever. Uh, and so uh, all of the online training, all the webinars, uh, they're they're thirsty for it. And there's a lot out there to do it. ACHE is one avenue for education. And then there's always... Crusty old professors like us, willing to, to educate as much as we can. I'm in it for the networking and the adult learning. My PhD is in education. And so I really enjoy working with adult learners uh, of all levels. And so, uh, yeah, I, w- I would leave it to uh, the promising uh, future of our leadership coming up through these ranks uh, and, where, and where we're gonna go from there.
0: That sounds great. Okay, Christian, I'm gonna impose upon you. Do you mind playing me out as I, oh, you know? I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. Yeah, All right, let's is, do it. This is a first for I Don't Care. We're going to have a little bit of walkout music. So go ahead, Christian, and I'll I'll close this out. Well, folks, it's been another great day. I feel kind of, you know, kind of laid back. I need to be in a rocking chair. Uh, folks, it's been another great episode of I Don't Care with Dr. Kevin Stevenson, Dr. Christian Linek from Texas State University, my good friend. Uh, you know, we, we talked about a subject that sometimes makes my head hurt, you know, finance, but uh, I think we made it through. So, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us, uh, and we will see you next week. Take care.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Good to see you. You too.